Welcome to the Keeper Cup podcast. I'm Chad Young, joined as always by Pete Ball. And Pete, this is a this is a day of celebration for you, huh? You are you are officially on summer break now. Yeah, thank God. I was able to grade all the final exams today. It's a long process, very long test, but uh, I am officially on summer vacation. And the Red Sox have greeted me with a six nothing lead over Oakland. Oh, nice. I forgot the the Guardians are about to start playing, so I got to see what's up with that. But uh, in you know in in the in the spirit of grading final exams, I think we should use this episode to go back and grade ourselves a little bit. And so what we're going to do like is we have each picked out two players that we were right on and two players we were wrong on going back to the off season. Uh, and I think it's, you know, we'll discuss this more as it goes on, but it's, it's probably a little early to be, you know, we shouldn't be victory lapping just because a guy looks good so far and, it's probably a little early to be writing off guys that we were high on before the season. But I I think it's an interesting exercise to go back and just think about like, what did we see that we were excited about? What, what should we have maybe seen in retro? You know, what looking back, what should we have maybe seen that should have been a clue that we were off on some of these guys and and just sort of rethink things a little bit. And so we're going to cover eight different players I've got two guys I was wrong on. Pete's got two guys he was wrong on. I've got two guys I was right on. Pete's got two guys he was right on. And through that, we're also going to talk a little trade because coincidentally, two of the players out of these eight were involved in trades I am literally in the middle of making. So when we get to those players, I'll explain what those are. And hopefully by the time we talk about them, I'll actually be able to officially announce those trades because I'm just, just waiting. You know that feeling when you're waiting for the other manager. They've agreed in principle, and they're just not hitting the accept button on the the real offer. And it's like, come on, get it through. So we'll see. It's even worse when you message them on Twitter, and you can see that they've read the message, and they're still not responding. Like, oh, come on, come on. It's killing me. Killing me. But let's, uh, let's dive in. And I think we should start. Let's start with the guys we got wrong. And then we'll flip over to the guys we were right on. We'll end on a high note. So, yeah, Pete, why don't you go first? One of the two guys you got wrong. Who do you want to talk about first? Sure. Uh, so I'm gonna I'm gonna start with Spencer Torkelson. Um, I know he's one of the two guys that's involved in that deal that you're you were referencing earlier. He is. And if folks remember when we did our first base episode. Now, we were ranking keepers, so I guess it's a little bit different because I still view Torkelson, obviously, in a highlight in keeper leagues. But I was just as high on him in redraft, to be honest with you. As we got closer to the start of the season and the lockout ended, and it really looked like, oh, my God, like Spencer Torkelson is going to start the year in the major leagues. Here we go. Number one overall pick. Awesome hit tool. Tore up the minors. I was into it, and 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 I was ready for him, but he's just been terrible. Um he can take a walk. That's it. I mean, he's got a, he's got a, about a 12% walk rate and, and we'll take that, especially in our points leagues and in our uh, leagues that count OBP in place of batting average. But that doesn't mean that his OBP is good because he just gets out so much right now. He's not playing tonight because he's three for his last 38. Uh, so he got tonight off. He struck out three times last night. I'm worried that there's a demotion in store. And when you look at his numbers, Chad, like 
if you look at his underlying numbers, and this is what one of the like little things that I prefer StatCast to over fan graphs because and StatCast has the backing of Major League Baseball. It's a little bit of a difference there. But I like that StatCast will show you the MLB average right underneath um, you know, a particular player's statistics. And when you look at and you can you could do the same thing for fan graphs. You just have to have two different windows open. But anyway, when you look at like everything, everything under the hood with Spencer Torkelson, like almost everything. It's it's literally like league average. And that's not a good thing because we're playing fantasy baseball. Like if you're in a 12 team league, the Tigers are in a 30 team league and Torkelson has still been bad. But in the grand scheme of things, he's basically been like an average MLB player. So I'm going to throw out a couple of quick stats and then I want to throw it over to you, Chad, because you were much, much, much more uh, sobering on Torkelson than I was. He has an 88.9 average exit velocity. The league average is 88.4. His swinging strike rate is 10.2. The league average is 11.1. His hard hit rate, 35.3. League average, 35.5. His launch angle is literally league average, 12.1. There's there's more that we could dive into, but he's basically just been fine, which long-term for him as a baseball player, I feel pretty good about that. Like, okay, you know, kid's holding his own. He really didn't get much burn in the minor leagues. But as a fantasy manager, man, it's been disastrous if you took him as a top 200 player. Yeah, and I I think, you know, like you said, I was much more, I wouldn't even say I was down on him. I was just much more cautious. Sobering. Yeah, Yeah, cautious. Sobering, it's a good word for it, yeah. And a little bit, this is what I expected. And and the reason I say a little bit is because I did not think he'd be this unproductive but what you just read off of him being sort of average across the board it's like yeah that makes sense he's a he's a 22 year old kid who has you know let basically less than a season's worth of minor league plate appearances and it's going to be hard to adjust and there's going to be an adjustment period and it's going to be painful and it's not going to be smooth however um I'm actually, so, well, take a step back before I get into that, my however. You know, you look at what he's done, and it's like, he's got a 27% strikeout rate, which is high. But, like, he had a 23.6% strikeout rate in AA last year, 20.3% in AAA. His strikeout rate's higher in the majors. That's not a huge surprise. Um, Similarly, like, his 11.2% walk rate, as you said, is, is very good. It's lower than it was in the minors. That's not a surprise. The biggest and sort of most surprising thing is that he was running sort of across three levels last year, a home run per fly ball rate around 20%. And his major league home run per fly ball rate is 9.3%. And, and that is, that's ugly. Um, and that's, you know, his, like he's got a 7.6% barrel rate, which isn't terrible. He's got a, you know, a 111.5 max EV isn't bad. Like there's some good signs there. And it is worth noting that like his ex-WOBA, is 50 points higher, almost 50 points higher than his Woba, right? So it's still not good. A 311 XO, but it's not like if all of a sudden he was matching that, you'd be like, yes, he's everything I thought he would be. Like, that's still not good. But his production doesn't actually reflect how average he's been. It looks way worse, which is how you end up with a 263 Woba and a guy who is, his F4 is negative 0.8. Right. And, and like, he's just been, he, he's been awful and he, but his results being that awful, isn't really reflective of, as you called it, how average he's been, he should be performing much better. And I think he probably will soon. 
And so that gets me to my, my, however, from the beginning is you mentioned he's one of the guys involved in this, these trades I'm making. Well, the initial trade I made, and I'm waiting on a second trade, but the initial trade I made, which has been accepted was I had a roster crunch. I had an, an overfilled roster due to IL returns and stuff like that. And I traded a $20 Jonathan India who I effectively didn't need. I have, I've got Jeff, a very cheap Jeff McNeil and a, a good price Cattell Marte. And I've got Willie Adamas and Bo Bichette. And I, so I just didn't need a fifth middle infielder. Um, and a $9 Lance Lynn, who, again, my, my pitching was deep. He was a, he was potentially going to end up being a cut for me at some point as guys came back from the IL. Plus his velocity was down. But I traded the two of them for a Spencer Torkelson in a minor league spot where I can stash him. And I was super happy with that. Now, it turns out that there was another offer that came in, and I'm, I am assuming everything comes together. This is the one I'm waiting on. I'm going to be trading Torkelson along with Alec Thomas, who I also have in a minor league spot, for Emmanuel Classe and Josh Hader because I need bullpen help. And like, yeah, in, in a league where we have three relief pitcher spots right now, I've got Tanner Houck, who I can move into a starting pitcher slot. I've got Tanner Rainey, who's been useless because he gets no saves. And I've got Taylor Rogers, who's been excellent. But if I could go from that to having Houck as a starter and my three relievers being Class A, Hayter, and Rogers, I'm going to be in a good spot. In, That's in the my, best my bullpen in fantasy baseball. Right. It's as good as it gets. So, and I think what my point in this is like, where am I on torque? Like, I'm right where I was before the season. I think he's going to be fine. I think long-term he'll be very good. I don't really want to have him on my roster this year. And so picking him up in this trade where I could stash him was going to work well for me because I could wait till next year and then I would be able to use him when I think he'll be much better. Because just Not because I think he needs to make some big changes or anything. He just needs to grow. Yeah. On the other hand, if I get a good offer to move Spencer Torkelson, I'm fine with that too. Like I don't... That and that's sort of where I am with him. Yeah, no, it's 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 like ripping off the band-aid for me. This is a very cathartic episode because I I was rostering him in my favorite league, a 16 team league. It's a keeper league, but you only keep three. And Torkelson's value as a keeper wasn't even that great because I was so high on him. I took him decently high in the draft. And so the the draft pick compensation I was gonna get wasn't gonna be worth it. And I had a roster crunch, and literally just yesterday I finally dropped him. Um at my first baseman's Vlad, there's no corner infield and there's one utility spot. So like he was just taking up a roster spot, hitting a buck 80 or whatever he's hitting. So um, this was a this was a necessary venting of Spencer Torkelson. And I feel much better now. Yeah, I mean, we we have him in the Keeper Cut Listener League that we're sharing a team. And right now, the way that that league is set up, like we have to use him. He's in our lineup every week, yeah. which is small bench, less than ideal. But we're not going to like, it doesn't make sense to cut him because his long-term value is still high and our team has been terrible. So right. like, to cut him now when he's a potential long-term keeper for us just doesn't make a lot of sense. And so like I said, I think in general, that's where I am with Torkelson is like in a keeper league, I'm still very happy to go out and acquire Torkelson at a low price and, and be able to sit on him till next year. But I would much rather have him out of my lineup. Right. And he's so talented that even if you're forced to use him, he, he could still end up having a pretty solid second half, you know? Well, and he he did so sort of a random thing. I feel like he got lost. And this is, you know, talking about fun with arbitrary endpoints, this is this is pretty arbitrary. 
Uh, but I'm going to throw it out there anyways. From May 12th until the first game of their doubleheader on May 31st. So I'm getting really precise here. Not even through the 31st, just through the first game of the doubleheader. That is 58 plate appearances. He had a 150 WRC plus over that two and a half week stretch. Now, there is nothing when you look at that that it seems, at least to me, crazy in there. His walk rate was 13.8%, which is well within sort of where he's been for the season. His strikeout rate was down to 13.8%, which is low for sure. And he won't maintain that, but still. 341 BAPIP, which is high, but given his bat skills is not crazy. He only hit one home run, so it wasn't like a big home run per fly ball thing. He just performed better for like two and a half weeks. And then he fell apart again, and it's it's been a struggle since then. But he's showing those signs of growth and development. He's showing the things you want to see. So I feel pretty good about where he's headed long term. But yeah, in redraft, I'm totally happy to get rid of him. And even in a keeper league for the right price, I'll move on. I'm fine moving on. I just don't think he's he's not doing enough right now, and he's not going to do enough right now to to make me feel like I have to sit on him. So. Um, all right, well, let's jump to, I'll jump to one of the guys that I was down on. And since I already sort of mentioned him, let's talk Jonathan India. So as I said, I traded a $20 Jonathan India along with a $9 Lance Lynn to get Torkelson. India, it's probably less, it's probably not fair to say that I was wrong on India or, or, or too high on India as much as it is to say he's getting an incomplete so far, or even my, I'm getting an incomplete so far given he only has 45 plate appearances on the season because he got hurt. However, even in those 45 plate appearances, there are some signs that are not good. Um, his walk rate, and his walk rate is his calling card, right? He, he doesn't hit the ball particularly hard. He really is reliant on a high walk rate. His walk rate on the year is 2.2%. 2.2. That is, uh, that's bad, uh, right? I mean... His walk rate last year was 11.3%. So that's sort of what you're looking for from him is like, you know, double digits, not 2.2. And the the problem is, the thing that sort of makes me nervous, because in 45 plate appearances, you could pretty easily just say, yeah, whatever. It's, you know, a couple more balls go his way. And all of a sudden, instead of 2.2, it's five. And if it's five, it's low, but you're not feeling that bad about it, whatever. However, his chase rate last year was 25%. This year, it's 36%. His zone swing rate last year was 58.2%. This year, it's 64.9%. His contact rate is up. But basically, what that means for a guy who, who's, who contact isn't his strongest skill, right? His, and I don't mean contact like making contact. I mean, good, hard contact is not his strongest skill. He's putting the ball in play a lot more. And that isn't necessarily a good thing for him because he's at his best when he can walk and be patient and find the pitches he can absolutely hammer. Because with this increased rate of balls in play, his barrel rate is down, his exit velocity is down, his hard hit rate is down, right? And, and so, I, you know, I think part of what you're seeing is he's he's getting a lot more soft contact because he's swinging more at pitches that he shouldn't be swinging at. Now it is 45 plate appearances. And so I am, you know, 
I'm reserving judgment on saying that this was like a huge mistake on my part. I should be out on him. The fact that I traded this $20 India has less to do with me thinking he's done and more to do with just the way that team was structured. Because in one of my auto new leagues, I have a $14 Jonathan India that I've been refusing to trade because I still believe in, in the skill set there. But there are real concerns when he's, you know, he's hitting the ball for, he already didn't hit the ball particularly well. And now he's hitting it less well because he's hitting it more. I, I think what I'm looking now that he's back and he's, you know, literally just back, right? He's getting his first start off the IL as we speak. I wonder what's going on in that game. Let's pull that up. So we are recording this, by the way, on Tuesday, June 14th. So, oh, he hasn't even started yet. His game is later. So we've still got another hour before his game starts. So I can't even report on what's happening. But what I'm looking for from him is chasing less, waiting for his pitch, taking walks, even taking strikeouts, if that's what it comes to, in order to wait for the pitches he can really handle. And then I'll be very happy with him. Um, but there are... There are legitimately worrying signs, and I really thought he was going to go back to being what he was, maybe even a little better, right? I thought as he got into his mid-20s, or he was 24 last year, that he might grow into a little bit more game power, right? He's got a good hit tool. He's got a good sense of the plate, and, and maybe he pulls the ball more, elevates the ball more, and gets a little bit more power out of his profile than he had shown so far with his 21 home runs last year, like maybe he gets to 25, 26 this year. And instead he looks like he's going to get to, you know, 10 in part because he's playing so little, right. Cause he missed so much time, but in part because he's just, he's hitting the ball less hard. He's hitting in the ball, the air, the ball in the air less. And yeah, it just, uh, there's a lot that worries me. I don't want to say I was down on India going into the season, um, but where he was going, I mean, even like seeing you had him for $20 in a $260 budget, you know, obviously much smaller rosters than not new, but that, that still, I guess feels kind of price. Like it, I would have been priced out at 20 bucks for him at that point. At the same time, you know, for what it's worth, I mean, we're going to talk about the 49 plate appearances or whatever it was in his rehab assignment. It was only 15 plate appearances, but he did walk three times. So that's a 20% walk rate. So maybe it's coming back a little bit. I mean, it's better than not seeing it, right? I mean, if we're going to, we're going to look at that small of a sample size and then you just think back to the ballpark and his kind of profile, right? Um, the less fly balls is obviously not good, but it's still a fine fly ball rate. He's, he's about a league average fly ball guy. It's the pull rate that we want to see because he doesn't hit the ball with as much authority as as your traditional power hitters. He's your typical middle infielder, right? Softer contact. But if he continues to pull the ball in great American ballpark as much as he has, then maybe we do see that power pick up a little bit. I mean, we're seeing power pick up around the league right now. Um, and, and who knows, maybe this extended absence due to injury has kind of rejuvenated him. I'm not out. I actually traded for him. In a keeper league, I parted with a very cheap to keep Mackenzie Gore for both Matt Chapman when he was like at his worst. I mean, he was he's got a homer and a hit tonight. He's been heating up lately. And uh, Jonathan India, who was like in the middle of his injury stint. And it did, we didn't know when he was coming back. Obviously, right now, that deal's looking pretty good for me. And I'm excited to have India back again because lead off for the Reds. And we think about the Reds. We think, oh, that's a bad lineup. No, I'm I'm in on Brandon Drury. He's the one who's hitting right behind him. After that is Tommy Pham, who StatCast data loves, even though he really hasn't performed like it this season. And then it's Joey Votto. So like, yeah, the Reds stink, but 
if he's got those guys behind him for the rest of the year and can, you know, amass 450 to flat 500 plate appearances going forward, I, I could see him being pretty good. I think you'll be okay with your, your India shares. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, again, it's just that, that sort of reminder that being high or low on someone doesn't mean you should definitely get rid of them or definitely have them. Like exactly. it's all about what the opportunity is and, yeah, I, the places where I have India where I haven't moved him, I'm very happy that I still have him, and I, I think I think he will turn it around. Um, the places where the, the place where I just traded him, I'm fine having traded him too because I think I got value that that's that's pretty good. So that's sort of where I am on him. Let's uh, let's jump over to your next guy. You were wrong on, and we're gonna we're gonna stay on the infield. Another infielder. Yeah, this one kind of breaks my heart because I, I love Alex Bregman. Uh, in my home league, I rode Bregman to two or three championships um, during the peak Bregman years. And I, I remember getting him for super cheap. I was selling one year and I was like, you know what? Why don't I trade whoever it was? I don't remember who the heck it was for Alex Bregman. And I ended up keeping him for years. Anyway, that's completely off the point here. Um, he, he's been bad. So the good news is he's, he's walking more than he's striking out, which we kind of expect from Alex Bregman, right? He's, he's, that's never going to change. He's a great plate discipline guy. Um, he's sporting a 233 BABIP, whereas for the career, he's up around 290. So I think there's room for some positive regression there. Um, and his expected WOBA is 364. So, you know, it, it's not, ter- that's, that's really good. Um, so th- there's room for improvement here. The bad, though, is everything else. I mean, 716 OPS. Um, he has not hit the 30 threshold for runs or RBI yet. That's getting concerning. I wrote down in the notes he's pacing for about 20 homers. The projection systems have him almost unanimously finishing around exactly 19 home runs for the season. There's no way. Like I, I get that the entire community after his 41 homer season was like, he's never going to do that again. But 19? I, that's kind of concerning to me, and he's only hitting 233. So depending on where you drafted, like on NFBC, he went right before Anthony Rendon, DJ LeMahieu, who I love, but has not performed as well as I thought he was going to, Max Muncy, Justin Turner, and Kebrian Hayes. Now, Hayes is promising, and the underlying data really likes him. But otherwise, like you didn't really miss out on anything. But I guess that's kind of my point is that Bregman went before those guys, and he's performing just as bad, if not worse, than them. Um, and so that's a huge miss. If you drafted on ESPN, ESPN had Alex Bregman as like a third or fourth round pick, like just egregiously high. And no matter who you're playing with, when anybody sees a player continue to just stay at the top of the draft and stay at the, they end up taking him. And so he was going way higher on ESPN. Um, and, and he has absolutely screwed over managers there. I don't know if the wrist is still bothering him, if it's the new balls, in which case, you know, as the weather heats up, maybe we'll start seeing the power come back a little bit. He is posting a career high average exit velocity by 0.1, but it's still a career high for a guy who's had a really strong career. And yet he's still terrible. Um, He's putting the ball in the air a lot and he's pulling it a lot, but he's getting very different results. And I think that speaks to, yes, he was very lucky before when he hit all those home runs into that part of the ballpark at minute made that I can never remember. It's got a very simple name, but also, you know, I think the balls are impacting him a little bit. So it's a mixture of both like the luck has run out and the other shoe is dropping where, you know, you, just because you hit a fly ball up in the air and you pull it, it's not going to be a home run as much as it was before. It's the the Crawford boxes, right? There Those we are, go. That's, that's Thank that. you. Yes. Yeah. I'll forget so, it in 20 minutes. Yeah. Well, you know, <laughs> no reason to know the names of seats in Houston. But uh, I, I actually, 
I'm sort of thinking I want to buy low on Bregman if I can, because he said he's the plate discipline is where it's always been. Right. And that's, that's never been an issue for him. His fly ball rate is up, which to your point, you, you may not want him hitting a ton of fly balls, but it does give him a, a path towards power. His pull rate is down from last year, but above his career average and, and pretty close to where it was in, in his better years. It, it would be, I mean, it's very close to where it was in 2018. It's higher than where it was in 2019. There, there's a lot to like here. And, and as you mentioned, his, his ex-WOBA is high. Um, his ex-WOBA, if he matched his ex-WOBA, he would be outperforming both of his last two years. And, and so I think to me with Bregman... I guess it, you know, as all of them, it comes down to cost, but like, he's not going to be who he was in 2018 and 2019. He's just not those two years. He had 72 home runs combined. He isn't going to come close to that. It might take him four years to hit 72 home runs again, but I do think he can be much more similar to what he was in, let's say 2017, rather than what he's been in 2020 and 2021, let alone 2022 so far, which has been He's on a, it's right now, 2022 looks like a downward trajectory, right? By Woba, he was at 345 in 2020, 336 in 2021, 321 so far this season. But by ex Woba, he was at 332 both of the last two years and is at 358 this year. So I'm, I sort of think like, like I said, that BAPIP's going to come up. His home run per fly ball rate, that's at 6.9%. Like, it's just not going to stay that low, I I don't think. I don't think it'll get back to the 18% it was in 2019, but I do think it could get back to, the, like, the 10 to 12% it's been for most of the rest of his career. And if he can do that and still be hitting high in a very good lineup, I, I think, you know, I think there's an opportunity to buy low on a guy who, I don't know, I mean, his so 2020 and 2021 combined, he had a 338 Woba. I am gonna bet that the rest of this season he's over 350. So from let's see, this airs. We'll say from the day this airs, just because well, we can say from today, from tomorrow, from June 15th through the end of the season, I'm gonna bet on him having a 350 or higher Woba. And if he does that, you can buy low right now. And profit handsomely. Yeah, that's a definite buy low. I understand why you you're saying you were wrong on him, given how high the hopes were and what he's done so far. I don't think you were wrong to be high on him, and I would, I would still be buying. Yeah, he's he's a guy I I thought about sending a few offers for if I could buy low. I think he is still carrying a little bit of some name value. I will say in roto leagues, you know, nobody really unless you have Jose Ramirez expects to get stolen bases out of your third baseman. But for a guy who had a 17 steal season, and I know that because you brought up his 2017 season and I went to go look at it and I was like, "Whoa, 17 stolen bases." Alex Bregman has attempted one stolen base since 2019. Since the end of the 2019 stolen, since the end of the 2019 season, he has attempted one stolen base. Um, that's 
I think it kind of gets lost in the like. Anthony Rendon has two stolen bases. Austin Riley has two. Those guys might finish with five, six, seven. You might win that category by one, two, or three. That could be important. Alex Bregman is a zero. Even Rafael Devers has a stolen base. He was eating an ice cream cone in his post-game interview the other day. He has a stolen base. Bregman has attempted one in three years. That's I, I don't want to spend more time on it than that, but I, it sticks out to me as like, what the heck is going on there? Maybe it's a philosophy in Houston. I, I don't know. So let me ask you a question. Then mentioning the stolen bases because the other third baseman who you expect or think you'll get some stolen bases from is Cabrian Hayes, right? And 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 Cabrian's got seven on the season so far. He had nine last year in what was about a half a season of plate appearances. Like there's there's reason to think he could push twenty. He probably won't get there, but you know over fifteen, under twenty, something like that for Cabrian. He also has a somewhat similar skill set to Bregman in that, you know, plate discipline, on base ability, bat to ball skills are, are going to be their offensive calling card more than power. With a much shorter track record, a much worse park to hit in, and a much worse team. Would you rather have Hayes or Bregman? So I'm just going to answer truthfully. I, right now, I think it has to be Alex Bregman because if somebody in a keeper league offered me, unless the price was very different, all things being equal, if somebody offered me Cabrian Hayes for Alex Bregman, if it's my Bregman, I'm keeping Bregman. If it's my Hayes, I'm trading him for Bregman. With that said, man, that really for a second there had me thinking because you pull up Cabrian Hayes' StatCast page, Chad, and it is beat red. I, I mean, he has been a little unlucky this year, I'd say. And if you look at his, you know, you could say he only has two homers, but look at what his expected homers would be around the league. Um, you know, if he was playing all of his games in Great American Ballpark, he'd be up at seven. Now, take that for what it's worth. And, and Pittsburgh is a terrible lineup to be in. And, and I feel bad for him that he has anything to do with that franchise. No offense to our Pirate fan listeners. They probably are nodding in agreement anyway. Um, but yeah, that's a, that's a really, so. yeah, right. That's a good question though. Hayes versus uh, Bregman. I like it. Yeah, I'm. I think in a keeper league, it's. I mean, it's a tough call because part of it too is like I'm like, oh well, Cabrian Hayes is so young. I mean, they're not that far apart in age. No, right? Bregman's a young guy. Yeah, because Bregman Hayes, you think of as being young because he's barely been around, but he's 25. Bregman's 28. That right. that is, if I were the, the Astros and the Pirates, that matters to me a lot. For as sure, a fantasy manager, you're still not waiting. Neither of them are declining for a while, so. I'm sort of, it's an interesting question. I think, I don't know. I, I'm I'm pretty high on Kibrian. Yeah, me too. Maybe I'm too high on him if I say I would take him over Bregman, but like they have very similar Wobas and very similar ex-Wobas right now. And one of them steals bases. No, that's so a good point. It's a, it, I, it is a tough, tough call. I think, I think at this point I would trust the track record on Bregman more. I think. If I'm being realistic, um, I would probably reject that trade no matter what, which is which is basically to say, if I were <laughs> in a league where I had Hayes and someone offered me Bregman, I'd probably talk myself into preferring Hayes. And if I'm in a league where I have Bregman and someone offers me Hayes, I would probably talk myself into preferring Bregman. Like if I'm yeah, being realistic just... and 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 knowing my own tendency <laughs> to prefer the guys I've got, I bet that's what would happen. So. No, that makes sense. Um, I think if we were to redraft right now for just this season, like if we had a draft here on June 14th for 2022, I think Hayes goes first. I do. Yeah. 
I think I might be right. So let's uh, let's jump to my last guy I was wrong on, and that is we're going to stick on the infield. If we if we move Torkelson back to third base and Bregman back to shortstop, we could build a whole infield out of the guys we were wrong on. Because I'm taking a first baseman, and that is Matt Olson. And Matt Olson, I mean, let's start with this. First base is kind of a mess, right? I mean, if you go back and think about who we were drafting at first base before the season, and then you go look at the you know first base position sorted by Woba, right? Now, that's not a perfect match for fantasy value, but since none of these guys have that many stolen bases, it's close enough. But your number one first baseman by Woba is Paul Goldschmidt, which is probably not a surprise to anyone who's been paying attention this year because Goldschmidt's been awesome. Your number two is Luis Arise. <laughs> your number three is Ty France. Then Pete Alonso, CJ Crone, Garrett Cooper, Josh Bell. At eight, you finally get to Vlad Guerrero Jr. At nine, you finally get to Freddie Freeman. Then you have Jose Abreu, Trey, or, yeah, Jose Abreu, Trey Mancini. And at 12, you get to Matt Olson. Now, if we go back before the season, the big question was, Vlad is your number one first baseman. He's everyone's number one first baseman. He's going in the first round. Freeman is a clear cut number two. And then there was this Olsen Alonzo pairing that was going next. And it was a tough call between them. And I was on, I was on the record saying I like Olsen better than Alonzo. And that was before he got traded. And I said, if he gets traded, I actually think Olsen pushes closer to Freeman than he does to a lot. Like he moves from being close to Alonzo to being close to Freeman. That has not worked out. Alonzo has been much better. Olsen has been fine, but he looks a lot more like the Olsen of 2018, 2019 than he does of the 2021 version. And what's happening there is a a little bit hard to tell. There's a, there's a couple of things I think at work. Part of it is he made huge strides in his strikeout rate last year. So he, he was a guy who from, you know, 2017 to 2019, he was sort of in the mid 24 to 27% strikeout rate. It jumped up to 31% in the short in 2020. And then last year he got it all the way down to 16.8%. And he did that not by, you know, chasing less or swinging less. He just made contact at a much higher rate. And because he's such a good hitter, like this is sort of almost like the opposite of India. Olsen makes such good contact that more contact is a good thing. Whereas with India, I'm not, I wasn't as sure about it. This year, his strikeout rate is better than it was that 2017 to 2019 stretch, but it's 23.6%. It's basically right back to sort of where he was before that big jump in 2020 and big fall in 2021. And that, I mean, that sort of stands out as what's happened is he he had a down 2020 because he struck out too much. He had an up 2021 because he didn't strike out at all. And now he's back to being what he was before. And that's fine. That's not a bad thing. There's nothing wrong with being who Matt Olson was before. But it certainly doesn't justify his draft price. And, and it especially for someone like me who was pushing him up higher on the draft board. And if you look at his his Statcast data, there's nothing there that makes you think like, oh, he'll be you know his max AV is up. He has the hardest 
max EV of his career. So maybe that's maybe that's a good sign. But everything else is just sort of where it's been. His he has a 350 Woba and a 354 X Woba. Right? Like he's just sort of been what he is. And I, I think I think the mistake that I made, and so this is where, you know, the other guys I'm sort of saying, like, oh, I think they're, you know. I said, I might still buy on Bregman. I might still buy on India in the right circumstances. I'm still buying on Torkelson. With Olsen, I think I just over-indexed on believing that he had changed skill. Like, I basically looked at his 2021 and said, he's established a new baseline, which is not the right way to look at a guy posting a career year. And I think that what I, you know, it is it is totally fine to look at a guy and say, look, he completely changed his strikeout rate. He did it by making more contact. But you have to hedge a little bit. You have to regress that and say, yeah, but he's likely to end up closer to his career numbers than he is to what he was for that one season. And and I think for I, I think I, I made a mistake in effectively saying 2021 is who he is. And if he gets out of Oakland, he'll be even better instead of saying 2021 shows what he's capable of and getting out of Oakland might be enough to keep him there, but more than likely he takes a small step back. And and as a result, instead of having sort of equal shares of him and Alonzo, which is probably what I should have had, I've got a lot more Olsen than Alonzo and that hasn't been great. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I think that's a really good reflection of of what went down. But it's so tempting to get excited about the park change because it was Oakland, which is a pit. And the both of these players that we're comparing here, and we've been comparing for a while, and other podcasts have as well, they both had the same noticeable difference. And that was what you brought up, the change in strikeout rate. And it was like, man, this guy's becoming a complete hitter, not just a, a massive bopper. Um, Alonzo has stayed within 1% of the gain he made last year. And obviously, like you said, Olsen has not the big difference I'm seeing. And who knows, is this, is this, is this impressing? You know, is this him trying to live up to the contract to the trade? He's filling the shoes of a hall of famer that just won the world series. I mean, there's a lot at play here, but the fly ball rate is way down at 22%. Um, and so like, maybe that would be good for batting average, right? If he's hitting ground balls and he's hitting them so hard, but I, if I'm a Matt Olson guy, I want him hitting the ball in the air. And I think I think it's a combination of all of those factors. And I'm actually so I'm going to kind of say what you said about Bregman. I'm, I'm ready to buy low on Matt Olson if someone's willing to sell. I just I think it's different for Olson because with Bregman, people were maybe taking him in like, I don't know, the he was ADP 88 on NFBC. So what's that like a sixth, seventh round Olson? I mean, he was going in like the third and fourth round. That's a tough guy right. to buy low on. Yeah, and I think I mean there are reasons. There there are absolutely reasons to buy low. I know I cited that his Woba and XO were really close, but a couple of things that that stand out to me as reasons to buy low. One, you already mentioned the fly ball rate, right? I think you know, he's not a guy, this isn't a guy who like had one year of a higher fly ball rate and so like you don't know if he can do it. He is his fly ball rates by year were like 47.1, 46, 43.1, 44.6, 44.3, 43.7. And then all of a sudden this year, it's 35.5. Seeing that go back up to the mid forties would be not remotely surprising and it will lead to more power. So that that's one thing. The other is he is right now running a 61.1% first pitch strike rate. That is a number 
that is usually not very sticky. It's very volatile. Uh, and so a guy running a very high first strike rate will likely see regression towards a lower first strike rate. And he has been in sort of the 53 to 55 range for most of his career. And and the things that impact first strike rate outside of um, just noise tend to be like, you know, hitters who are free swingers get fewer first pitch strikes because they're like fewer first pitches in the zone because they're more likely to flail at something. And guys who are not scary tend to get more first pitch strikes because pitchers are like, I'm going to come after this guy. And if he gets a hit, he gets a hit. So be it. That's not Olsen Matt Olson. is not that. Right. Neither <laughs> of those are Matt Olson, Right. So like I expect his first strike rate to go down. The difference league wide, the WRC plus from 01 counts is 67. The, WR, the WRC plus from 10 counts is 129. So it's a huge difference if all of a sudden one out of every, even, even if it's 5%, one out of every 20 of it has at bats flips from a 01 to a 10. That's a huge difference in his production. And so I think that'll all change too. So I, I agree. I would still buy in on Olsen. However, I still think he, I'm not, I wouldn't buy in on him at the price I was paying in the off season because I just think I was, I was just too high on him. Just too high. Chad, I think you need to explain to Tony LaRussa how the likely outcome of an at-bat changes if you are behind in the count. Oh God. I, don't, I don't even want to. <laughs> By the time this airs, will he be fired? <laughs> yeah, no, right. he won't. But he should be. He should be fired. Bef- but like, he should have been fired. He never should have been hired. hired. <laughs> right. Yeah. 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 Anyways, on that note, we're going to take a quick break. You can listen to our sponsor and think about Tony LaRussa's ridiculous intentional walks, and then we'll be right back. Hey, Alex Fast here, and thanks for listening to this podcast on the Pitcher List Podcast Network. If you're a fan, consider supporting all of us by getting a PL Plus subscription, where you're going to get an ad-free website and get access to our Discord, where you can talk to all of our podcast hosts and staff. Plus, you can hang out with our incredible Pitcher List community. It's basically a baseball sanctuary year-round for as low as $8 a month. You can sign up at PitcherList.com backslash plus, and you're going to get your first month free with promo code podcast also don't forget to check out everything else we do as well from youtube videos live streams newsletters off-season articles tiktoks breakdowns over 15 baseball podcasts on our network we can't stop talking about baseball even during the off-season so sign up for pl plus today at pitcherlist.com backslash plus and use promo code podcast to get your first month free all right thanks for listening let's get back to the show all right, so Pete, we've gone over four guys that we got it wrong on. Now let's, uh, you know, I don't want to say take victory laps, but let's take some victory laps here. Yeah, no, I'm excited. I'll, I'll let you take the first lap. Okay, all right. I mean, I, I'm not very good at taking victory laps. Um, I'm often very hard on myself, but this this season has gone really well for me. Um, I'm leading my TGFBI league right now. Um, that's been flipping a lot. Uh, so, you know, first, second, first, second, went down to third for a little bit. Um, and I, I'm leading another money league. I'm in, it's a rotowire qualifier. I'm leading our fan graphs listener league too. So, I mean, <laughs> for somebody who started this by saying, I don't victory lap a lot, I'm, I seem to be doing a lot of victory lapping, but a common denominator between, uh, a lot of those leagues that I'm doing very well in is Sandy Alcantara, who has just been absolutely positively incredible. So much so that like 
he has to regress a little bit. And, and I'll talk about why I think he's going to do that. But there was like some stuff on Twitter, and, and this is going to sound like a straw man argument. And I didn't get involved because I very rarely, if ever, get involved in like Twitter beef. But it was like some pretty hot takes about Sandy Alcantara. Like, like people saying like he's barely a top, I don't know, 30 starter. He's someone said, I can't remember who it was. That's gonna, man, it seems like such a straw man argument. Somebody said he's the fifth starter in Miami. <laughs> what? I'm sorry. Come again. Um, and and I couldn't disagree with that more. And and when I was on, um, on the corner with Nick after we did our, you were in this draft too, um, our mock draft. It was very early on before we had any rankings to base them off of. I can't even remember when this was. It had to be like December. I took Alcantara there, and Nick got me even more excited about him. And, and Nick obviously knows his pitching. Uh, and so it's just worked out. I mean, I have Alcan. Alcan- I'm in 21 leagues. I have Alcantara in like every other league. Um, I had him ranked eighth early on when we did our starting pitcher rankings, but I, I must have just kept moving him up because I ended up with him like everywhere. Um, I had some hope that the the 20 he posted a 27.4 percent K rate in the second half last season when he like really took off. I mean, he was he was unbelievable in the second half last year. That hasn't really carried over. Um, that's at 23.4. But you you take that with the good, right? If you're in a K per nine league, then that hurt that does hurt you. But otherwise, I mean, he's been everything that you hoped. You know, I love my ground ball pitchers, Chad. He's fifth in ground ball rate. He's third in ERA. He's third in expected ERA to back that up. He's first in innings pitched in a time where it's tough to get decent innings pitched out of most of your starters. Second in quality starts only behind Joe Musgrove and one other guy. I can't remember who. Um, but basically in every major statistic, he's up there. Now I mentioned you should expect a little bit of regression, partly because like nobody pitches this well, <laughs> like other than Jacob deGrom, who's not pitching right now, like nobody does what he's doing at the moment, at least not anymore. I think he's had three straight seven plus inning starts. Nobody does that anymore. He has a 245 BABIP. That's probably going to go up a little bit. His strand rate is over 80% and it's just a 5.3 home run to fly ball rate. So when you take, if his home run to fly ball rate is only 5.3, and he barely gives up fly balls to begin with. He's hardly given up like any home runs this season. And that's going to be a very difficult thing to four. maintain. He's given up four home runs. It, it, four home All runs and, and leads Major League Baseball in innings pitched. He leads MLB yeah. in innings pitched and he's only given up four home runs. That's ridiculous. Um, the Hunter one change Green gave up five in a start. Oh, dude, I watched that start. It was <laughs> we talked about it last week with Matt. Like that was the worst start I've ever seen. Besides Daisuke Matsuzaka. Anyway, um, he has thrown his change up more. I haven't read anything about that. I just noticed it, and it has been unbelievable. But all of his pitches have been really strong. So I, I don't know if that change is going to stick. Maybe by the end of the year, the sinkers first again. I, I don't know. Bottom line, he's not a sell high to me. Even though I just suggested he's going to re- he could regress a little bit. He's a hold. He is an ace, bona fide ace victory lap complete yeah i i honestly i have nothing to add to that he's been awesome and i was not as high on him as you but i i i heard the same things you know you made the comment out, it's gonna feel like a straw man like i heard the same things you did about people being like i don't know why he's going this high why are people so excited like and i didn't buy into that i just wasn't as high as you were and, and my experience was that every league i was in somebody had him as like a top five to eight starting pitcher. And so even if I had him as like the number 12 starting pitcher, I never got him, but you did. And you are, you were right. I mean, that's it. That's like the people who had him that high, they were just right. So yeah, nothing to add. I'm going to, I'm going to jump to another starting pitcher and this is a less, I'm going to, I'm going to victory lap less hard on this, but before the season, I was 
pretty high on Shane Bieber and sort of frustrated by the number of people who were down on him. And a big part of that was I really thought that the velocity drop he suffered at the end of last year was, it was like two starts that were effectively rehab starts. He couldn't do minor league rehab starts because there were no minor leagues by the time he came back. It was just like a couple of starts. He was rusty. He was just trying to work his way into shape. And I, I, I thought people were reading way too much into it. I also thought that he is a very, very good pitcher with great command and that even if his velocity wasn't what it should be, he could still pitch well. So I was very wrong about the velocity. His velocity is actually like, it's down from where it was in those late starts last year. And that is a, obviously a real problem. However, he's still pitching really, really well. Um, You know, he's thrown, he's pitching right now as we speak. He's gone two innings with three strikeouts and a walk. Uh, two hits, no runs. That takes him down to a 2.82 ERA and a 2.61 FIP on the year. So, you know, we're talking about Al- Alcantara, and uh, Sandy has a like a 1.6, 1.68 ERA, but he has a 2.97 FIP. As good as he's been, Bieber has a better FIP than Sandy Alcantara. Now, there are reasons to be a little concerned, I think with Bieber. One is the velocity is in fact down, right? I mean, it is. And, and and you can't ignore that. And as much as I want to say, he's the kind of guy who could overcome a loss in velocity, which I believe it's still down and that's still bad. Right. So like I can point to, you know, Zach Grinke, all I want as a guy who like lost velocity and still, still was successful with the lower velocity, but like he was better when he could throw hard. There's also, I think, Right now, Bieber, like he has a 2.91 ER, or sorry, coming into the day today, he had a 2.91 ERA. He has a three and a 3.55 XERA. So XERA is is a stat cast based ERA, right? It's what you expect their ERA to be based on things like their barrel rate, their hard hit rate, launch angle, stuff like that. His launch angle would be a career high right now. Um, and he has never been a guy who avoids home runs particularly well but his home run per fly ball rate would be a career low by like half, right? His lowest career, his lowest home run per fly ball rate for his career coming into this season was 12.1%. He is at 6.3% this year. So it's a pretty significant drop and there's, it's just unlikely to continue. And so for him, like then I start to look at like his XFIP, which is 3.25, which is sort of like, okay, let's assume he regresses in, in home run per fly ball rate. But I even think that might be a little optimistic because I think that his, like, his batted ball data does not suggest a, a league average home run per fly ball rate. It suggests an above average home run per fly ball rate. And so I think he's likely to be more of a mid threes, 3.4 to 3.5 ERA type guy the rest of the way. And so because of that, I... I don't know that I would say he's necessarily like, I don't know that he's a sell high in terms of like, you have to aggressively like get rid of him. Right. But I would sell high. However, I would also buy low on him because I think the talk track on him is still pretty negative because of the velocity issues. And so for me, my overall take on him is like, I think he's a buy and a sell. 
if you're in a league where someone drafted him expecting 93 miles per hour and Cy Young candidate, now they're like, man, I'm not going to get anything like that. I'm just waiting for the bottom to fall out. Without this velocity, he's done. And you can pay for him like a mid-rotation starter. Do it because I think he's way better than a mid-rotation starter. However, if you're in a league where the person who thought that, you know, is so someone's looking at his current line and saying, he's got an ERA under three, he's striking out over a batter per inning, like everything looks good. And this guy is a, you know, borderline Cy Young con- contender. He is better than Sandy Alcantara because that's what the numbers are telling me. I would sell. Like I would sell to that person if I could. So, that's where I am with Bieber. I, I feel vindicated in supporting him. Maybe it's just, you know, my Guardians fandom coming through, but I'm very happy where I drafted him. I am I believe he's going to be a very good pitcher for a long time to come. I don't think you need to go ahead and get rid of him, but I don't think he will be as good as he has been so far this year. I think there's there's a little bit of regression coming, and if you can sell him as if what he's doing today is going to stick, then you should. I uh, I agree with essentially everything, and and I've been rooting for Bieber um, along the way. And you know, you look at some of the stuff that well, some of the first things that I like to look at for starting pitchers. Obviously, swinging strike rate is there. It's not where it was right when he won the Cy Young in 2020, but it's still very good. And it seemed like seems like outside of velocity, that's kind of where Shane Bieber is. I would also caution our listeners if you you know pull up his Statcast page and kind of have the um, the sticker shock is that what they call it i don't know what it is of what his average exit velocity against is he's a guy who's always gotten hit hard it just hasn't mattered as much chad referenced the trouble he's always had with home runs and and that's true with with the average exit velocity against as well um i've got bieber in a few spots as well mostly long-term leagues like stuff where i was already i already had him from previous years I, i can't say i drafted him that much but bottom line you were right because if you've had shane bieber to the point of this podcast you've basically gotten ace production You've gotten a really strong whip over a strikeout, an inning, and an ERA under three. You really can't ask for much more than that. Yeah, agreed. So let's uh, let's jump to your last victory lap here. I, I know you saved this guy for last on purpose because I know you <laughs> want a victory lap hard on this. And yeah, we talked about him very briefly last week. And uh Talk, talk to us about jazz. Sure. So it's not going to be as hard of a victory lap as you'd think, because like, I don't know all the, all the negative talk about him. And I don't mean from you, I just mean in general, like kind of got to me going into the season, but because it's jazz Chisholm and and he was actually another guy who was oddly ranked on ESPN where like, I'm not going to go down this hole again, but basically ESPN's rankings were for points leagues and they applied that to all of their drafts this year for some reason. And so jazz Chisholm was a post 200 pick. So <laughs> like, obviously anybody's going to take him there. Aside from ESPN leagues, I still ended up with him in quite a few spots. Um, he's a guy who ever since he got called up, I loved him. Um, I thought he was awesome. We all knew the raw tools were there. I like that he plays with a chip on his shoulder. I like that like he doesn't like Zach Gallon because that's who he was traded for. Like, I, I, that just like speaks to me. That's a that's like my sports fandom at heart right there. Um, and he has just been simply unbelievable. He had a he had a terrible slump for a little bit. He was in a bit of a rut not too long ago. I don't know, probably about a couple of weeks ago, and he broke out of it with a couple of multi homer games, I believe. Um, Full breakout. He's the number three second baseman um, and the number four shortstop on ESPN's player Raider. Now the player Raider does highly favor stolen bases, but most of us play in Roto leagues and stolen bases are, you know, they're a part of that. They're important. Um, His barrel rate. Like, let me give you some crazy stats about jazz Chisholm in comparison to studs around the league. 
his barrel rate. Um, you know, actually, let's start with his expected Woba on contact, his ex-Wobacon. Um, it's better than Rafael Devers, Bo Bichette, Kyle Tucker, Vlad Guerrero Jr., and Juan Soto. His barrel rate is better than all of those guys I just named, as well as Jordan Alvarez and Shohei Otani's. His expected slugging is better than Jose Ramirez's and Mookie Betts, and we know the seasons that those two players are having. Basically, the only superstar I didn't name there is Aaron Judge. Jazz Chisholm has been up there with everybody. Um, he's chasing, chasing a little less, swinging in the zone more, but that hasn't had much of an effect on his walk rate or his strikeout rate. Those are pretty consistent, but it, he's probably going to finish somewhere between 25 and 30 homers, 20 to 25 stolen bases, a survivable batting average because the strikeouts are still there. Um, but, you know, anywhere from 160, I'd say to 170 runs plus RBI. Um, he has posted a decent RBI total, um, despite not even really playing every day because he still randomly gets benched. Jazz Chisholm has been awesome, and I'm very excited about my new $8 share in our league where I roster Vlad and I roster Machado and I roster all sorts of guys, and yet he is leading my team in slugging percentage, which is one of the eight categories. So he has been awesome. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned that his... You you, know, you mentioned his O-swing and Z-swing. I think that the thing that stands out to me is the big concern that I had, that everyone had with Jazz was like, does he have any approach? Does he have any sense of the strike zone? And the fact that he's chasing less and swinging in the zone more, even though his contact has gone down. And I, I, have, I have some concerns because both his O-contact and his Z-contact are down, and that's... You'd, I'd be worried about that. He has a higher swinging strike rate this year than he did last year. But the fact that he, the adjustments he's made are to chase less and attack the zone more it says so much about what he's working on and where he's improved. And so it, it, it helps to calm my, my biggest concern with him. And so, yeah, I mean, part of me wants to be like, oh, he can't maintain this. There's no way this continues. But like, what part of it? I mean, his home run per fly ball rate is high. It it could come down, but like, he's crushing the ball. He's earned that home run per fly ball rate, right? This isn't just a guy who's like gotten lucky and the balls happen to carry a couple of times. Like he is smashing the ball. You mentioned that barrel rate; it's insane. So, I, I don't know. I, his BAPIP is two seventy six. He seems like a guy who should run a high BAPIP. He hits the ball hard and he's really fast. So like. Man, I'm just, I, I to me, I, I like, I have big regrets about not buying in before. And now I like, he almost feels like a buy high. He almost feels like if you can pay for him at what he's doing right now, you just should. Because if he continues to make adjustments and develop, and if his BAPIP ends up running hotter because of his, because it seems like it should, like maybe he's got more. I, I don't even know. So yeah, I'm a, I was wrong, <laughs> and I'm super impressed with what Jazz is doing. Yeah, a, a fun a fun trade before the season even started. Um, there were some other pieces involved, but I essentially traded away Jazz Chisholm for Shane McClanahan, and I feel like somehow that just worked out great for both me and this other manager. Everyone's real happy with that. Yeah, yeah, that's a that's a win win right there. Yeah. All right, we got one more guy to talk about. Another second baseman. Sometimes, most of the time. I was pretty high, and I've been pretty high for a couple of years now on Jeff McNeil. And Jeff McNeil had 
that just absolutely stellar breakout 2019. He had a really rough start to 2020 and then bounced back late in 2020 and ended up with a pretty solid season. And then fell off the earth last year. And I basically said, like, look, you know, maybe he doesn't return to sort of the rabbit ball performance of 2019, but I bet he can be very close to what he was in the rest of those those solid years, right? His 2018 and 2020. 2018, he had a 368 Woba. 2020, he had a 360 Woba. This year, he's at 357. He's basically been exactly what he was other than that 2019 craziness. And what's interesting is in some ways, this is like the opposite of what I did with Matt Olson, right? With Matt Olson, I was like, oh, he had one terrible year and one great year and the great year is going to stick. And here I was like, yeah, McNeil had a great year and a terrible year. But I think he'll just sort of be who he's been for his career. And that's sort of what's happened. He's, he's, it's not even worth going through his stats because it's just, he doesn't strike out a lot. He walks a decent amount and he hits a lot of line drives. And that's sort of what he's always done and is what he's doing again. Now, my concerns with him, and I do have some concerns with him, is there are just, the biggest one is there just won't be very many home runs. He doesn't hit the ball that hard. He, he is unlikely, like right now he's running a 4.8% home run per fly ball rate. I think that will go up because it's just so low. I think it almost has to, but like he's never had a barrel rate over 4.4%, right? His, so right now it's 2.2% that that'd be a career low. I think it'll be better than that by the end of the year, but I, I don't know. There's a lot of like a lot of his numbers and his X stats are down. By, you know, by ex-WOBA, this would be his second worst year of his career. Uh, his hard hit rate is down. His max EV is down. His average EV is down. Like, there's a lot of ugly there. Um, but I think at the end of the day, he'll be sort of, I still think he'll sort of be what we expect him to be, which is high average, very high on base, limited power, limited speed, but he should score a decent number of runs and have a decent number of RBIs hitting in that lineup. And so to me, he's very format dependent. So the league that I mentioned earlier where I traded away India and McNeil's one of the guys I have, he's sort of my fourth middle infielder in that league right now. That league counts doubles and triples as the sixth category. It's an on-base percentage league and doubles and triples is a category. I think he's going to get me a ton of extra base hits with a high on-base percentage and, and like I said, good number of runs and RBIs. In auto new leagues where, again, extra base hits matter and where you're counting on base percentage, I think he's going to be good. I think he'll be very valuable. I also, like, he plays middle infield but also qualifies in outfield. And so in five outfield leagues like auto new or in, like, my – the CBS league I mentioned is a head-to-head league with pretty shallow benches. And so having bench players who can be moved around to different spots of the lineup makes a big difference. So, like, there's a bunch of things where he his value sort of is boosted by – stuff in a traditional five by five you're talking great average a decent number of runs and rbis and nothing else and that is you know that might be worth selling high on right now if you can but on base percentage leagues leagues that those those doubles and triples have value above being a hit i'm in I, i'm in I'm, I'm very happy with mcneil and i'm gonna I think he'll just sort of keep being what he's been. Yeah, I love this call. Um, McNeil's been a beast. Like the 
the walk rate is one thing, but he's still because of the batting average posting a super high OBP at 372. And so you're right. I mean, it is kind of format dependent, but even in your like standard five by fives, like he's been very valuable for me because of that batting average. And if he's going to get on base that much in the lineup that leads Major League Baseball and runs that second Major League Baseball and WRC plus that just adds value to him. Um, so uh, I'm all in on Jeff McNeil. And if you did listen to Chad in the offseason and you were able to get McNeil in your keeper leagues, well, now you're looking at a situation where you're not going to have to pay much to keep him. Um, or if you got him in your new leagues, like you're, you're not paying much to hold on to this guy. And he's going to be a pretty steady performer, I, I think, going forward. Yeah, I think that's right. And, you know, he's also a guy who if, you know, if the if Major League Baseball changes the ball again, like he'll benefit as much as anyone if if oh, power yeah. surges. And so, yeah, I'm real happy with that. But that's our uh, that's our episode on, you know, admitting our mistakes and enjoying our savoring our victories um some it was our progress on both sides progress report yeah that's a that's a very teacher description (laughs) this this isn't a fun we haven't we haven't done our final grades yet but you know you're we finished the first trimester and we need to sit down and reflect on what we've done so far and you know get ready for the rest of the school year (laughs) this is a much more fun school year yeah yeah well (laughs) And you you mentioned your your students discovered the show, huh? Apparently, so they have. Pete's, <laughs> if any of Pete's students are out there listening, thanks for listening. Uh, I would tell you to like do something to him in class, but school's over, so yeah, school's not. over, and and we are way too technical, I think, for eighth grade fantasy baseball players. So they they probably started it, heard my voice, were like, whoa, and then turned it off. But either way, uh, yeah. Well, if any of you stuck with it this long, you should let let Mr. Ball know because he'll be very impressed with you. So. Absolutely. They, they, they probably do. They call you Mr. Ball, huh? Yeah, that's me. Yeah. Yeah, I guess that makes sense. Tell him my middle name is base. <laughs> <laughs> well, with that, thanks for listening. We, uh, we hope you enjoyed this. We'll, we will be off next week. Pete and I are both traveling, but we'll be back at it in early July. Make sure you follow the show at Keeper Cut on Twitter. Subscribe wherever you subscribe to podcasts. Leave us ratings and reviews. You can follow Pete at Pete B Baseball. You can follow me at Chad Young. Hope you have a good start to your summer. I know Pete's going to go off, celebrate the beginning of summer break right now. And like I said, we'll be off next week, but we'll be talk to you in two weeks. Have a good one. <laughs>